0: Now I'm here.
1: Now I'm here.
0: I know you're here, dear listener. We can begin.
1: So, where have you been lately, Martin?
0: Well, I've been to two places. I've been to Maidenhead and I've been to Hursley. And on both occasions, I gave a new presentation which kind of evolved from one to the other and still more after that. And that's the presentation called How to Be a Better Performance Specialist.
1: Yeah and then I saw you named that uh better than Martin, right?
0: <laughs> yes, that's an in joke and I have Dave Martin of IBM UK to thank for that one.
1: Yeah, that's a funny one. So where else where else have you been?
0: Well, that's been it really, but you've been some interesting places I think.
1: Yes, I have. Um, In mid-April, I went to Dubai for the first time. It was an excellent location because one of the reasons why it wasn't incredibly hot, it was actually very nice weather. Uh, So we did do some presentations on System Z there, but unfortunately there were not as many System Z customers that were able to go to that conference as we had hoped. And so I don't know if we're going to have System Z events in Dubai anymore, unfortunately. So if you're a a customer in Dubai, you might have to go to another location if you want to attend System Z I suspect, in the future. The other place I went was Atlanta, a great location and also really wonderful weather. It wasn't too hot there as also, uh, just like in Dubai, it wasn't too bad. And in that event, we had many, many System Z customers. And the System Z customers in Atlanta had really good questions, it gave me some work to do actually, which was excellent, so a lot of inquisitive minds in Atlanta.
0: So I think between us, we've been to some places where the people are friendly and the beer is the beer.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: So we hope you liked the last episode. We've actually got a new item here. It's called follow-up. So marna has got a piece of follow-up and then I have a piece of follow-up.
1: Yeah, my follow-up item came from Alan Field. He made a comment on one of our episodes about sdsf He went to go use it, and he liked it, I think. But from one of the new panels, like the DAA and the DAL panel, which you know display the active address spaces, he noticed that it only gave you one screen worth of results, and you couldn't really scroll through it. And yeah, I scratched my head. And I thought, yeah, that's true. And so I looked around and I actually had to talk to SDSF development about that one. And, and that's true. You only do get one screen worth of results from uh, those new panels. And you won't see the whole response from that screen. However, if you wanted to see the whole response from the command, you can go into Ulog where you can see the entire response. Now, on a different item, um, because SDSF, the new panels are not in ZOSMF. However, if you did issue commands from ZOSMF, there is a scroll box in ZOSMF where you wouldn't need to do that. So if you're in the ISPFS, SDSF new panels, you do need to go to Ulog to see the whole thing. Or if you're from ZOSMF doing regular old commands over there, you can just scroll through and get it from there today. And just as a reminder, those new panels uh, for SDSF, those new six options, uh, they are not in ZOSMF today.
0: And I got a piece of feedback as well. So remember last episode I was talking about processing markdown with uh, zos and i hazarded that you might run a java implementation of python called Jython. well dave griffiths of uh, ibm uk got in touch with me in an email and he pointed out that actually there are some bona fide java markdown processes so i got to playing one with one called markdown 4j and it works very nicely i wrote a small piece of wrapper java and i ported it to uh, zos having tested it on my linux workstation and it worked very nicely in both places and then i wrote some wrapper Rex. um so i'm in the middle of writing a uh, blog post about all this when i can get around to finishing it off so that was a nice interjection from dave griffiths
1: excellent that's that's really good i like that item that'll be cool to know So, Martin, um, if somebody has been listening to our podcast so far, you know the name of these podcasts are kind of weird, meaning that you made them up. (laughs) So where did you get the name of this episode from?
0: Right. Well, this one is the title of a jam album called Sound Effects, which is a pun on the BBC's Sound Effects records that they always used to put out. And the reason why I've called it sound effects is because I'm injecting some new sound effects between items in this episode. Talking of which...
1: This episode's mainframe topic comes from an email that I got. It's from Mike Aguirre, who's in the uh, west coast of the U.S., and he had a question that he asked me that actually I had heard before, so I did want to put this on the podcast to make sure that if two people had questions, probably more people did. So Mike writes to me, Hi, Marna. Today we have ordered IHS Apache, that's IBM HTTP server Apache number fifty six fifty five M23 for installation on our current ZOS 1.13 environment. Okay now just remember that I'm going to get back to that sentence in a second. But he continues on and says, I understood I understood that this could be done prior to ordering ZOS 2.2. That's absolutely correct and that's what's recommended. We'll get back to that. Then he continues on, we were also attempting to order ZOS 2.2 to include Ported Tools HTTP Server, the same program number 5655M23, but kept getting a message that these products were not compatible with ZOS 2.2 Base. Where did we go wrong? So that's Mike's email, and those are some very good points in there. Okay, so first let's step back and let's look at what is inside of ZOS 2.2. There are two new base elements in ZOS 2.2 for everybody to use. Uh, One of them is called OpenSSH and it is at the ported level of 6.4p1. For those of you that like to talk FMIDs, that happens to be HOS 2220. Now that level of OpenSSH at the 6.4p1 ported level was also put into the ported tools version 1.3 5655M23 product. And that also is the OpenSSH 6.4P1 level. Okay, now the level that was put into ported tools for OpenSSH is the same level, although it does have a different FMID. The FMID that you're going to get in ported tools for OpenSSH 6.4P1 is HOS 1130. Okay, now do note that the ZOS 2.2 OpenSSH will supersede and delete, in SMPE terms, the ported tools that was in the 1.3 product, which was the HOS1130. So that is why that particular base has been blocked from ordering with ZOS2.2, because we actually supersede and delete a higher function that's in ZOS2.2, even though it's the same ported level. And why it's the same ported level and has two different FMIDs is a longer topic we can get to another day. But anyway, if you're interested in using OpenSSH, this is where the uh, useful SSH and FTP can be found. Okay, so that was the first part of Mike's question. The second one was about how he couldn't order ported tools 1.3, the IHSA, the IBM HTTP server powered by Apache, why he couldn't order that also with ZOS 2.2. Well the reason for that is that we also have as a new base element in ZOS 2.2 we have IHSA. It is an FMID, HHAP90P, and it is at the 9.0 uh, level that we call it inside of ZOS. Now, also in the Ported Tools 1.3 product, 5655M23, there also is an HTTP server feature. That happens to be at the 855 level, so it's at a lower level than what you're going to get at the ZOS 2.2 product level. The FMID for the ported tools HTTP server feature at 855 is HHAP85P. Now do note that the IHSA that we ship inside of ZOS 2.2 will also supersede and delete the ported tools level that you see at 855, therefore making it not uh, uh, good or feasible (laughs) or whatever you'd want to call it to order that program product along with ZOS and so that's why it has been blocked. So when you look at this thing, why can't you order Ported Tools 1.3 with ZOS 2.2? Is because the pieces of Ported Tools that are left in 1.3, which is the Open SSH, we already have in 2.2, and the HTTP server feature we already added a higher level in ZOS 2.2. So that's why you cannot order Ported Tools 1.3 with ZOS 2.2. Now, to make these things a little bit more complicated, there is one small tiny piece left in ported tools that's called XVFB for ZOS. And that happens to be FMID HVFB111. Now, that FMID, I haven't met anybody that has ever used that FMID. And so if you need to use that FMID, you can get it outside of ZOS 2.2 on a product server pack. And then you can continue to use hvfb uh, 111 or the xvfb for ZOS function uh, that way, but otherwise I haven't met anybody that's using that function, and so it's perfectly fine that we've blocked ported tools 1.3 from being ordered with ZOS 2.2 because we have either equivalent or superseding functions in ZOS 2.2. So that is why you can't order ported tools with 1.3, and also why it is perfectly fine that you can't get it. Now getting back to Mike's original question, he said that he had ordered Apache uh, with 1.13 and that was fine um, and so that was good. I did want to get back to that, that, that using the IHS Apache from ported tools, the HTTP server feature 8.5.5 is indeed the strongly recommended method to use to migrate to the Apache that's in 9.0 and ZOS 2.2. So, make sure that you note if you're running on ZOS release 13 or on ZOS 2.2, or 2.1, excuse me, and you have to migrate off of Domino to Apache, that it is very strongly recommended that you do individually go get the ported tools 1.3 level, you know, uh, on your 13 or 2.1 or as a product server pack, and that way you don't need to have it in ZOS 2.2. So I hope this has answered Mike's question. I got back to him and he seemed to be okay. But if anybody else has this same question, that is the answer.
0: So the performance topic in this podcast episode is about coupling facility path latency. I've written enough about it over several blog posts to think it's a really interesting topic.
1: Interesting. To me, it sounds like it might be a dry topic. So what exactly is latency? Latency.
0: So basically, the coupling facility link hardware measures the time it takes for a coupling facility signal to make the round trip over the link. But this is only for really modern links, but sort of links that people tend to have these days. For example, a structure request to go from a ZOS image to a coupling facility and back again. But note, it's not the whole of the request's time. It's just the round trip for a signal which is part of the request.
1: So why is this interesting, then?
0: Well, there are two basic reasons. The first one is, as I say, the latency is fixed for a given distance. It's 10 microseconds per kilometer. So a microsecond is 100 meters worth of time. In fact, RMF reports the distance rather than the latency in microseconds in the report. But it reports it in the SMF74 subtype 4 record in microseconds. So in one case it's in distance, in the other it's in time. It's fixed for a given length of link, so it tells you the length of the link. So that's the first reason. The second reason is it might explain why requests take so long. But note it's not the only component of a request response time, and it is invariant for a fixed distance. So if the link is slowing down, we probably won't see that. So
1: it's still a dry subject, right?
0: Well, yes, those are the bare facts. It actually does get, as so often is the case, much more interesting when you think about what you can do with it.
1: So tell me, Martin, what can you do with it?
0: Well, I have four examples to relate here. The first example is of verification. So when I first mapped the record in my code, I thought it would be just fine for checking the distance between... Two components or rather the link length. So one of the questions you might ask a customer or a customer might ask themselves is did we in fact leave a fiber suitcase namely a machine that simulates long distance in the path? The latency information would tell you if you did so for example if you got 10 kilometers of distance when you expected 100 meters of distance that might indicate to you that you've actually stuck a fibre suitcase in the way and have forgotten to take it out. So then I got nosy and I thought it could tell me how far apart machines were, which is maybe tourist information, perhaps quite literally. That turns out to be right, you can do exactly that, work out how far apart machines are, at least how long the links are between them, which is not quite the same thing but almost. By the way, before I forget to mention this, it's not just the ZOS to coupling facility links that we are able to measure. It's actually the coupling facility, the coupling facility links, which are rather important for duplexing performance. But then I confronted reality.
1: Oh, no, a reality check. Keep going.
0: Right. So my second example was a customer who had three sets of pairs of links between their ZOS images and their coupling facility. Those were each of different lengths. The RMF data said this, actually, and the customer confirmed it was the case. So a good meeting of mind between me and the customer.
1: Well, that, that's always a good thing.
0: But the actual distances for these three routes were different from what the customer said, according to the data.
1: Over and underestimation?
0: Yeah, actually, we, we did get not just a consistent overestimation or a consistent underestimation, but actually some of the links were said to be longer than they really were, and some of them were said to be shorter than they really were. But, uh, you know, that, that that that's a bit of a problem because you then have to go to your, uh, your fabric vendor and ask them whether the links are really the, the distance they said they were.
1: Well, I know you, and I know you always have more examples, so so what else do you have?
0: Right, so the third example, and I said there were four, so we're, we're halfway through this, I guess, is the case where the RMF data said one microsecond, and the customer wanted to know if the new Z13 ICA short-reach links would be okay. So, one microsecond is... Is, roughly speaking hundred meters and we have to bear in mind that these links are okay only up to 150 meters now the problem is that that field value in microseconds is an integer so the actual distance it could be reflecting could be anything from 50 meters to 150 meters or maybe to 199 meters so it's not something I'd want the customer to gamble on so the best advice to the customer though was not to gamble on the ICASR links being supported over the distance but actually to get a better reflectometer.
1: Reflectometer. Okay, Martin, this sounds like one of your made up words because I know that you make up words. I might Uh, even say it is reflectometer. What what is that?
0: You say reflectometer, I say reflectometer. Oh well. Uh, (laughs) Well, actually it turns out this time I didn't make up the word and I heard it both from a customer and actually, from our product engineering people so so it 's a real term, and basically what happens is you send a signal down the link, and then it's reflected back, hence the name, and however long it takes is the path latency so So you can get them when they're that are made much more accurate than our one microsecond, so you can verify independently the actual path link.
1: All right, that's good. That that clears it up. I can, I can follow that. So you also had mentioned that there was potentially an embarrassing case?
0: Yes, and this is perhaps tales out of school. It's a case where the InfiniBand card itself in the processor reported different latency values from what the customer knew to be the case. And the reflectometer measurement actually confirmed that the customer was right. So they actually asked IBM to change the card. And IBM did change the card... And if I were the customer, I would probably have pursued the same line, because if the measurement isn't right, who's to say it's functioning right? Um, To be fair, there were no other indications there was anything wrong with the card. But this was a case where the data in RMF, not RMF's fault at all, and the actual distance were variants with each other. So that's a slightly embarrassing case, I, I, I guess, but this sort of stuff happens. Yeah, it does. So there are thrills and spills to be had. There certainly are. Now, I would suggest, and maybe this is the take home from this whole item, that customers use this data to verify their configuration and to check the measurements they're getting are sensible and correct. And actually, fair warning here, one of the first things I'll do when working with a customer, particularly if there is an interest in parallel sysplex or data sharing performance, is actually to replay this information back at them. And when I do, it has, as you've seen from the four examples, sparked some quite interesting discussions.
1: Yeah, sounds like it is. Thanks for uh, teaching me something I didn't know before and also teaching me how to say reflectometer.
0: (laughs) I'm training you well. Yeah, you are.
1: (laughs) Maybe I'll be a performance person one day.
0: So this episode's topics item is mana's.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, for my topics item, I did want to talk about a little app that I've discovered that's pretty cool on my Android. This idea was given to me by Paul DiMarzio, a, a good friend that has smart ideas, and he turned me on an app called Smart Maps Offline for my Android system. Now, what this does is... Uh, You can download free maps, and you can use the GPS info. But what is really nice about this is if you travel, you don't have to use your mobile data in order to use maps. So what I do is I download the maps ahead of time when I'm connected to Wi-Fi, and then I use the GPS information on my mobile phone or on my tablet, and I can see where I am. Anybody that knows me knows that I get lost all the time. So with this app, I can see where I am, I can see where I need to go. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't give you directions to get there, but I know enough on how to read a map to know where I am and where I need to go. So I use it on Android all the time, but uh, I, I think it's also available on Apple as well. Uh, I I'm not super clear on this, but I believe that on Apple, the maps, the downloaded maps actually cost money. But on Android, all the maps are free. So we didn't have to pay for them, which is, which is great because I've used a whole lot of the maps before. Martin, have you used anything like this on iOS, Smart Maps Offline?
0: I haven't used this particular app. I, I've used other apps uh, which give me offline mapping. Now, you, you mentioned just now that uh, on iOS, the maps cost money. Roughly how much do they cost?
1: Yeah, one time when we were going to download a map, uh, my husband had it on his phone. He said that the map was about $5 each, and I've downloaded a bunch of maps. So I think that's quite expensive for what I'm getting free on Android.
0: Yeah, that that would seem pretty expensive to me, but it's not quite that bad if you think about it. Because if I was, say, taking my phone to the United States, um, and I was trying to use an online app, I could easily use up 5 dollars in in data just doing that so so i'm not saying the maps are cheap because i don't think they are but the economic case might not be quite as um as bad as that um yeah so, so i haven't used this particular app but i've used apps like it and downloaded the maps and i've been lucky enough that they have effectively been free
1: yeah, I do like this. And anytime you can get something and not use data in a foreign country, I I really like it because my data plan, I try not to use data in foreign countries. So these offline kind of app things are really nice for me. Now, there is some things in the app, of course, I don't like because everybody that knows me know I'm a, a pretty good <laughs> criticism person. Uh, like I said, you can't get directions from one place to another, but if you know where you are in the map and you have pegged where you want to go, you can kind of find on the streets how to get there. And the other criticism I have of that's app is actually pretty funny, is that the maps are written only in the local language. So let's say I was. This is a true story. I was in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and everything was written in Russian. Um, there was nothing in English for me to see or to understand, and so the searching was very difficult because I only speak English. I don't speak Russian, and so I had to really kind of look around and, and find some stuff. It was it was actually pretty funny. <laughs>
0: So you, so you know the Cyrillic uh, alphabet is really not that complicated. It's just got some very handy extra letters in it, and, th- and that's all, all there is. So it's not that bad, you know.
1: Yeah, it isn't, and I started to learn the translation between some of the letters and some of the letters that I would, I would write in English, so it, it, I, I could kind of figure it out. But for me, typing it and searching for it, it was pretty funny. It, so the local language thing is a barrier, I would say, but if you can tag it on the map and then go from there, you're pretty good. So another thing I like about it, this is the end of my don't like list, but the things I like about it is that I can add personal data points on the map and I can color code them. So when I was in Italy, what do you do in Italy? You eat really good food. And so I pegged all the restaurants that I want to go to, you know, with green or with red. So I would know that that's where I need to go. Um, the maps that you can off download on the smart maps offline are wonderful i mean i've downloaded probably about 12 or 15 of these maps so that i don't get lost in all the countries and it's it's worked out really wonderfully the map also has the ability to look for hotels you know restaurants public transportation everything else the kind of things that you'd want to do when you're visiting so i thought it was wonderful
0: so i think one of the things you mentioned there i really like is the idea of being able to mark where you've been by the way that's one of the reasons why i use um, social media sites like swarm Mm. to check in for where i've been so i can actually remember or not have to remember where i've been in 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 the past So, so i like that idea if you can mark it on your own personal map as well
1: yeah i i do like that as well and swarm does that very well as also Uh, One note about the performance of this app. The the app actually performs very well. And one of the good things about this app is when you download the maps, the file sizes of the maps are really not that large. So I can download many of the files and, and still not take up very much space on my device. So I do like that.
0: See, that's something I'm not terribly sensitive to because I have 128 gig on my phone. So space is never really an issue. But I can imagine for a lot of people, it is. Yeah, it is. So that just about wraps it up for this episode. So you're going to some interesting places in the near future, I think, aren't you?
1: Yes, I am. This uh, Z Tech University comes to you has really uh, made me do a lot of trips this year, more than I've done uh, last year, definitely, for sure. So I am going to San Francisco on May 10th through May 12th, which I'm very much looking forward to meeting Z people on the West Coast. And then the next city after that will be Chicago, uh, May 18th through May 20th. And anybody that knows me knows what I like to do in Chicago. And that is eat pizza, real pizza, not New York pizza, Chicago pizza. So I'll be having Chicago pizza on May 18th through 20th every night.
0: (laughs) So so I think we're going to get some feedback on, on that last item. That's highly contentious.
1: It is. I'm going to hear all about it because uh, unfortunately I, I live in New York and I like Chicago pizza. So what can I say?
0: Gosh, that's countercultural. So so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm alluding to the fact that we actually welcome feedback. So here's how you can get hold of us. So I'm martin underscore packer at uk.ibm.com if you want to email me and martin packer on Twitter.
1: And I'm M Wally at Twitter, M W A L L E, and my email address is mwally at US.ibm.com.
0: So it goes.